Where Murder Meets Mystery contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, cool friends. Let's take a walk down the street where murder meets mystery, a podcast exploring the murderous, the mysterious, and everything that lies beyond the beyond. I'm Marissa. And I'm Grace. And welcome to episode 19. Welcome to 19. 19. You know what Holy I mean. Crap. And you know what's it's funny? crazy. What? I say that intro every week and I'm like, oh, this sounds so good, so smooth. It's a radio voice. And then I'm starting like, and I'm like, hey, y'all, what's up? My name's Marissa and I am discovering Mr. <laughs> Mercer's Mystery or I just talk in like a super New York accent and I'm like, what the hell is going on in this, in Grace's case this week? And I just changed my voice so much that I am worried people don't know who I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm convinced you're a psychopath, maybe. You're, she's, she's, what is that? Camouflaging? Code switching? I'm a woman What's of many talents. That's what I call it. <laughs> she okay. doesn't know who she is. Yeah, she doesn't no, I'm know discovering who she is. myself. I'm still finding I'm myself, working, guys. I'm working on it too, girl. It's fine. I think it is anyway. truly based on who I'm around. Like when I'm yeah. around my southern friends, oh, that southern drawl comes out. But then mm-hmm. when I'm around my mother, I start talking like a mm-hmm. New Yorker. But then, and when you're when around me, you podcast. do both. I do do both. We do do we do both. It's a wonderful blend. But then we also have our podcast voice, and so then that comes out yeah. too. And I'm like, oh boy, enough of the voices. Grace, how are you? How the heck are you? Listen, I'm I'm medium. Hey, that is better than last week. I think we were both in this weird vibe oh last God, week, so and weird. then our cases were really dark. So it just kind yeah. of like, I don't know. I kept it light this week, and I hope you did too. I mean, no. Okay. <laughs> but I never keep it light. <laughs> right. Chicago right. was like my lightest case. Yeah. But, like, but that was a good one. You know I love the dark shit. I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Except She's last giving... week it just felt like especially heavy, you know. Yeah, it did. Well, do you want to tell us what your case is about this week? I feel like we're three minutes in. We got to get – we got to keep the listeners <laughs> engaged. Listen, I think ten more minutes oh, of banter – <laughs> Yeah, wait. What? I'm gonna add on another like minute or two. We have a thousand <laughs> plays, a thousand downloads, a thousand streams, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the, the, the metrics are. It, there's a thousand of them, and so thank you to our listeners. Like that is huge. Oh my god! And and you also know, some of you have stuck around. Some of you haven't. That's okay. I'm just so glad we're getting listeners. And the 26 of you who've listened to our who to episode what was that 18. That's oh pretty gosh, crazy, yeah. like, for two days, for it to be out two days and, like... Yeah, people, and no people, advertisement either. I just think of what you said when you showed me the NC State video that you narrated and you were like, Grace, people are loving this. And that's how I feel. Marissa, people are loving us. Yeah. We're, yeah. like, we're like the mood right now. That's who we are. We're the vibe. We're the mood. And I am manifesting that. <laughs> okay. Oh, we don't need to. We already are. Yeah, it's already and here. now that we're four Probably. minutes in, I'm going to ask right. again. <laughs> After saying thanks to our loyal listeners, our ghoul friends for yes, a thousand streams, what is Grace's case for episode 19? So I'm going to start out. I, I wrote a little intro here okay. because I, I have to say something. Okay. So mm-hmm. as is the case with like romance and love, I think that all true crime addicts have a type. Right. Oh, yeah. That is like a type of case that they find especially interesting, like kidnapping, family annihilators, con artists, serial killers, etc. Oh, yeah. Well, ghoul friends 
since you all have been asking, I mean, thousands of DMs, right? My type is definitely a House of Horrors case. Not horrors. <laughs> horrors. <laughs> now, Either or, yeah. <laughs> you may be saying, Grace, what the fuck is that? I'm talking about, like, horrific crimes that are committed within the walls of a home over decades and nobody has a fucking clue. I'm talking about the neighbors who are like, oh, I never knew. Like, it blows my mind and terrifies me that killers live in neighborhoods and have yards and treehouses and get fucking Amazon packages and they're committing murders in their fucking house. It's insane. Are we that surprised? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it just, I mean, yes, I don't know. But those cases, like, those cases, like, fascinate me and, like, give me nightmares and they're just, like, and the idea of, like, there was, I think it was Halloween, the, the movie Halloween, where I first saw, like, the image of, like, where you're looking at a house and then you just suddenly see someone appear in the window and it just fucking terrifies me. Like, that that concept of someone yeah. watching from yeah. a house. Like, oh God. But, yeah, we're here. That's what we're doing we're today. So, okay. my case is, like, for sure one of those. This week, we're traveling. We're packing our bags to California. <laughs> Cool friends. California. I think I've made that joke uh-huh. before. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. And I think I've said the exact same thing. I was like, to California. Like the exact <laughs> voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, <no>. So <laughs> we're going to the state capital of Sacramento. In the 1980s, Sacramento was voted to be one of the two best places to live in the U.S., Known for its affordable housing and great schools, in 1988, the city was growing exponentially astronomical (laughs) wait no what's the cody co and noel miller um his nick levels are over nine thousand. and granted that has nothing to do with astronomical or whatever you just said but that's immediately what i think of they're over nine thousand. the vape hot box video is that the one you're talking about i love it so much that was such a monumental time in history for me that was like one of my core memories Oh, my God. It's so good. Okay. (laughs) Signals are over 9,000. Oh, my God. Okay. So the city was growing (laughs) exponentially and was home to nearly a million people. But as is the case with many growing cities, among the suburban cookie-cutter neighborhoods were older, poorer, and more run-down neighborhoods that had generally avoided the effects of gentrification at that time. As the city grew, so did its homeless population. The homeless population, as sadly it remains today, was made up predominantly of mentally ill or mentally handicapped individuals. The homeless population had grown so large, in fact, that there were simply not enough resources to ensure these individuals were fed, had shelters, employment, health care, etc. Again, this is still the case today. Mm -hmm. The county mental health program created a homeless task force and worked with organizations like Volunteers of America to get these people off the street into better living situations and seeking mental health treatment. One social worker who participated in this effort in the late 80s, a woman named Judy, um, I want to pause for a second, and we're going to talk about Sister Judy in a second, but... (laughs) So I heard about this case first on the Netflix documentary series that just came out called uh, Worst Roommate Ever. Oh, Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. How is it? It's insane i'm so, so glad good. i didn't watch it yet because i i wanted to watch it and so i would have oh known all about this case yeah well now i have like a few cases picked out from that series because oh, it's so awesome. good and every episode is a different case this was the first one 
Um, so that's where I heard about this case and got most of my information. Um, so if you want a more in detail look at the case, then listen to me. It's better, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Okay. But that's where I'll refer to a number of people. And when I am quoting them, it's from their interview with Netflix. Okay, um, cool. So. Love that. One social worker who participated in this um, task force, a woman named Judy, tells us that unfortunately, because many of these individuals were experiencing paranoia, it was extremely difficult, if not impossible, to reach them or get them help. Judy mm-hmm. recalls a man she met on her first day on the task force, a man named Alvaro Gonzalez Montoya, and his nickname was Bert. Okay. okay. I don't really know why. Sure. Um, so quick, like, sidebar. I think that... Um, I, I don't want to, like, speculate because I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine that there was – because they talk about this huge increase in homeless people in the beginning of the 1980s, and I'm wondering if it has anything to do – like, the Vietnam War ended in 75, I think. Oh. So, like, I feel like that that has to have something to do with it. I would say that's using your context clues, not speculating. You know? Although we are really good at wildly speculating. Oh, it's our favorite thing. Yeah. It's our favorite favorite thing that's why we should preface everything with alleged right (laughs) apparently (laughs) that oh my gosh we we have to oh my god that was a moment that was a moment for us it sure was okay for the fans (laughs) okay so bert was born in costa rica and was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia at the age of 16 which is very rare to be diagnosed that young yeah i feel like that usually is the later development correct right Yeah, at Mm -hmm. least 21 is usually when, Mm -hmm. like, early onset is happening, yeah. So um, when Judy met Bert, he was middle-aged. He was, I think, in early 50s and living on the street in Sacramento, suffering from delusions and auditory and visual hallucinations. He had tried and failed to uh, take his um, medications because he felt like they made him sicker, which is a very common complaint with schizophrenia patients, I think, that – there's like a numbing effect um, that is not pleasant. Yeah. So uh, Bert ended up in a detox center despite having never been an alcoholic or drug addict, which led Judy to question immediately why Bert was not in a boarding house for the mentally ill. Yeah. Judy was determined to get him into a better home uh, that would be better suited for his needs where he had his own space. And like he, she knew that it was safe and clean and all that. She had heard about this. Literally. She's a down bitch. Queen. Yes. Thank you, true crime TMA obsessed. Ellen Marsh. And... Yeah. Obsessed with disappeared. I really Ellen appreciate Marsh. it. Obsessed with disappeared. That too. Previously, I think she just kind of coined it for all those amazing bitches in true crime that are like down bitches that like know when to write down a license plate number or uh, take mm-hmm. a picture of a creepy person mm-hmm. or this or that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think she would be happy with us using it in solidarity to uh, expand the down bitch <laughs> university uh, class list. University. That's what she calls yeah, it. Down bitch down university. university. <laughs> yeah. They have merch. So Judy hears about this great boarding house. Um, The landlady who owns it and operates it comes highly recommended. Um, So she actually hears about it from a fellow social worker and says, hey, this would be a great place for Bert because she starts asking around and it's really like invested in his case. The landlady of the boarding house was named Dorothea Puente and she was adored by her community, local charities and even politicians for all she had done for the community and the numerous contributions and donations she had made, she regularly donated like large bags of clothing to um, homeless shelters and Salvation Sweet. Army type things. 
Sure. Every Wednesday, Dorothea even cooked burritos for her whole community and gave them out to her neighbors. Um, So awesome. Love it. Most of Dorothea's tenants were what many people called the shadow people. It's like people who fly under the radar, right? Now, an important part of this story is that most of Dorothea's tenants would pay rent, which included home-cooked meals, with what little money they had, usually coming in the form of Social Security checks. Okay. When Judy arrived at the boarding house to check it out before Bert moved in, she recalls being charmed because Dorothea had a box of kittens in the kitchen. What? Yeah, she had like a little box of kittens that she was fostering and was like bottle feeding them. Pop off. And Dorothea was like this cute little old lady and she was Mm -hmm. like... And Judy was like, oh, my God, like, this seems really safe. And she's walking around talking to the other residents. And um, she even recognizes a guy there, this guy named John Sharp. She recognizes him and she's like, hey, what's it like living here? He speaks really highly of the house, saying it was really nice to have a nice meal and a nice place to come home to in, like, his own space. Absolutely. In order to live at Dorothea's boarding house, Bert had to file for Social Security checks. Um, And because he had no family to speak of, he had to like select a payee, like someone to receive the checks on his behalf. Oh, okay. His family was, as far as we know, still in Costa Rica at the time. Okay. Um, and so Dorothea actually agreed to be his payee because it was a little easier with like, um, sure, that's just kind. financially. Yeah. So Bert fits in really well at this house. Judy's really pleased to see him adapting to his own space, and he seems really happy living there. He's got his own chair and his own TV, and he's, like, making friends, which is really cute. Like, love it, Bert. Love it for Bert. As a social worker, Judy has a responsibility to kind of keep tabs on all her clients, and um, I think it's called a client. I don't really know. I'm not a social worker. Yeah, but Um, that makes sense. Including Bert. Yeah. And so she called Dorothea's house regularly a few times a week to check in on him. After a few months, Judy called in, called one day to ask about Bert, and Dorothea tells her that Bert isn't there, that he was staying in Mexico with her brother because there was a fiesta. Okay. Uh, okay. This immediately set off alarm bells for Judy because she says it just doesn't sound like something Bert would do because he's like, I don't, he just wouldn't do that, right? Right. And also just um, a, a tad dangerous. Right. Right. Exactly. So re- regardless, Dorothea says Bert will be back on Friday. So Judy calls back on Friday, no Bert. Dorothea says, oh, he'll be back in a week. And Judy says, fuck no. (laughs) And informs Dorothea that she will call police that Monday to report Bert missing if she doesn't hear from him. On Monday, Judy gets to her office and she gets a call, first thing, from a man named Don Anthony. She doesn't know who Don Anthony is. We don't really know. They don't really explain it. Don tells Judy that Bert is not at the house anymore and that after he came back from his trip to Mexico, a family member came to pick him up. Now, if you recall, there is no family, so Judy doesn't buy it. She calls the other boarder, the guy named John Sharp, the one she knew from before, right. and says, what up, right? He, he says, Bert isn't here anymore. She asks about Bert's trip, and to which John replies, no, none of us went to Mexico, Judy. When Judy presses for more information, asking about living with Dorothea and, like, is anything wrong, etc., John says, yes, there's something very wrong here. She's been digging a lot of holes. What? Like literally or figuratively? Literal literal holes. Oh, boy. Does that oh, not give you chills no. everywhere? Like, I don't like oh. that. I don't like it. No. <laughs> Obviously, ew. <laughs> yeah. Gross. 
Oh my gosh, but, wait, side yeah. side story. I mm. will never forget being in, in high school and looking out of like our third floor classroom window and seeing just mounds of dirt lined up in rows looking like graves. And so I posted it, I think, to my Instagram and I was like, graves at the high school. Like, <laughs> what was I doing and why? Like, I'm I mean, sorry. I'm sorry. Why did I post that? And they weren't. They were garden beds. That's what they were. They were digging up the soil to make garden beds. But there was well, nothing around them. There was no like wood or anything know, or tin. As so. far as we know, isn't accounted for. Let me know. Oh, wasn't that the principal? <laughs> yeah, this is what we would call him. <laughs> and he called me danger. He said, "Congratulations, danger!" When I walked across the stage <laughs> to graduate. Why? <laughs> Was that like an ongoing? <laughs> Absolutely not. I've never been called that in my life by him. So oh that was God. weird. Wait, that's so funny. <laughs> it was really confusing. Like my picture in, in the graduation photo is probably like, what? When I shake his hand and they take the picture, you know? More often than not, it's probably be, like, huh? I'm going to be like, and I'm like, what? I, I tell everyone, right? I'm like, why the fuck would he call me that? I was class president, like straight A's. Like, I never did anything wrong. Why was I danger? And my mom goes, maybe because you had a fast car. Maybe because you had a fast car. I'm like, my car was not that fast. I didn't like zoom in my car or anything like that. Like, what? Your mom, danger? Yeah, she's what the she's fuck? trying to help me, like, actually understand so he what was going on. Obviously, thought you were someone else. I really do think so really do oh my god god bless it that's really funny oh my god i'm sweating okay (laughs) uh all right so obviously that's freaky as fuck but we're gonna pause here for a second to learn more about dorothea because i'm sure you're all dying to know so dorothea was born in redlands california in 1929 which is south it's southern california she was one of seven children and had a rough childhood with both parents dying when she was very young in 1948, wow. Dorothea is convicted of her first crime, writing a bad check. In the 1950s, Dorothea works as a prostitute in Sacramento, then becomes a madam until in 1960, when Dorothea was sentenced for operating a brothel and actually sent to jail for a brief period of time. Now, according to the, I think he's the prosecutor, he may work for the DA in this case, but um, Bill okay. Wood is his name. He first okay. became aware of Dorothea Puente in 1982. When an older man named Malcolm McKenzie, who had met Dorothea at a bar where they had a couple drinks and went back to his house, he reports feeling very strange when he got back and eventually was rendered completely paralyzed, but also completely aware and able to see Dorothea wandering around his apartment, rifling through his shit, taking items, (sighs) including a ring off of his finger. No, that and happened he's like, in like a movie, I feel like, like where they're completely yeah. paralyzed but can see everything that's going on. Yeah, isn't that God, terrifying? Oh, it's it is. It's giving sleep Ugh. paralysis, but actually yes. um induced by someone. Yes, yes. So uh Dorothea is arrested and then released, and around the same time, Dorothea was posing as a physician and drugging elderly women and robbing them. So like the same thing. Wow. Same MO. Eventually, she pled guilty to five felonies in July of 1982 and went to prison. But it was only, as far as I can tell, for like three years. Okay. Bill Wood says it was only days after the first story about Dorothea was published in the newspaper that he received a call from a man named also Bill, (laughs) Bill Clausen, saying Dorothea had poisoned his mother, Ruth Monroe, like murdered her. Wow. 
So Ruth and Dorothea met at a restaurant and bar called The Flame Club through a man Ruth was dating at the time named Harold. Bill Clausen says they knew Dorothea well, and Dorothea had even encouraged Bill and his brother to call her grandma. Ruth and Dorothea went into business together, opening a corner cafe that began to very quickly fail financially. Dorothea was telling Ruth, like, look, we just need need more money. We need more money, and kept taking more of Ruth's money. And, you know, her son is telling the story like he feels so bad for her because she was just like she had money of her own, but she was just like kind and trying to help out the business. Right. And totally being scammed. Yeah. Yeah. So when Ruth's partner, Harold, died of terminal cancer, she actually ended up moving into Dorothea's house as a roommate. Bill Clausen would visit his mother every single day after work. When the restaurant eventually closed down, Bill said that the ladies were both stressed but in general seemed okay. Until one day, Bill stops to visit his mom and she has a drink in her hand. And he says this is super weird, immediately, like, sets off like sets up red flags because he's like okay. she's never had a drop of alcohol in her life and when she oh, has no. she's like allergic to it like she has a reaction to it so he she's yeah, holding a good. drink and he's like what up right the super yeah. weird yeah and ruth says that she had been stressed so dorothea fixed her a drink bill comes back the next day and his mom is in her room upstairs and lying in bed <gasps> he says he sat on the edge of the bed and put his hand on his mother's shoulder but she didn't move or speak When Bill looked at her face, he could see that her eyes were open and that tears were running down her cheeks, but she remained entirely motionless. And she was breathing like she was alive, but just completely still. So that being said, Bill felt like Ruth was in good hands because Dorothea said she used to be a nurse. So he kissed his mom goodbye and actually ended up leaving. The next morning, Bill got a call saying his mother had died and he needed to come get her stuff. When he gets to Dorothea's house, all Dorothea had to give him of his mom's stuff was an empty purse. No jewelry, no money, no clothing, nothing. Uh -uh. And Dorothea says, no, she gave it all to me. It's fine. (gasps) Okay, so apparently Dorothea had called the coroner and said her roommate had committed suicide. An autopsy was conducted and drugs were found in Ruth's system all at toxic levels. Bill asserts to this day that Dorothea poisoned his mother over time gradually with the drinks that she gave her she gave her to relax. That's because sad. of the lack of tests available at that time, there is unfortunately no way to confirm whether or not Ruth had committed suicide, but we can make a reasonable assumption. Right. But the prosecution at the time had no case because no one knew who the fuck Dorothea Puente was. No one knew yet. Now, just to summarize, it's 1982 when the attorney first becomes aware of the murder of Ruth Monroe, but remember, he'd been investigating Dorothea for a number of years, and by 1982, Dorothea was already in prison on other charges. She's not released until 1985, which is when she moves into a home in Sacramento and begins taking in tenants. The home is located at 1426 F Street. Okay. According to the terms of her parole, Dorothea was not permitted to be a caregiver in any capacity, and despite regular inspections of the premises by government officials, she was able to talk her way out of, you know, she was, like, basically able to convince them she was not, in fact, in violation of her parole when she very much was, because she was taking in people who needed shelter and, like, taking care of them. That's caregiving. Yeah. Uh, For about two and a half years, Dorothea owned and operated an unlicensed care facility out of her home. So now we go back to 1988 when Bert goes missing while living in Dorothea's home. 
a missing persons officer comes to the house to investigate and ask questions. According to the head of the unit at the time, a detective named John Cabrera, the officer questioned Dorothea and a number of other boarders who all gave identical stories that Bert had left with a family member. Okay. So this seemed like a pretty open and shut case until right. one of the tenants, a man named John Sharp, who you may recognize that name, slips okay. the officer a note. Oh, The note reads, she wants me to lie to you. <gasps> Shut the fuck up. Isn't that terrifying? Oh, no. Oh, no. And he, he still has the note. He, like, showed it on camera. Oh, my God. I would frame note. it. I would frame it. It was, like, written on an envelope in pencil. Ooh. Oh, my God. Terrifying. That's creepy. That's creepy. Oh, it gives me chills. This uh, this was when John Cabrera began to research Dorothea Puente and realized the case was much, much bigger than he originally thought. Side Just note, obviously. iceberg, huh? Right. Obviously, record keeping was not as thorough as it is now. And because Dorothea had been married, we think, at least four times, all oh. in different cities. So officers were not able to piece together any of this until 1988. So Man, John says, was, that, like, premeditating all of this, like, thinking oh, ahead. for sure. Bad wow. bitch. Wow. Not in a good way. Not a good way. So yeah. John, <laughs> John says it was funny because he kind of like rolled his eyes about Judy being a down bitch. But he said, yeah, the social worker was very persistent. He like rolls his Ooh. eyes and I'm like, yeah, damn right. She was persistent. She's on it. Yep. So Judy was very persistent about them taking shovels because of what John Sharp had told her earlier. Right. Yeah. So when John and his partner, along with Dorothea's parole officer, arrive at 1426 F Street, Dorothea looks right at her parole officer and says, I am in violation of my parole, which then gives off. We don't really know why she did that, by the way. Yeah, what? Which then gave officers an excuse to search the premises. Cabrera recalls that though he searched the house from top to bottom, he saw no sign of Bert. What he did find, however, were hundreds of little blue capsules everywhere on the floor, (gasps) inside drawers, closets, under beds. The medication was diazepam and it's used for sleep (gasps) it's a sedative oh no at the end of the search john asked dorothea for permission to dig in the yard and she for some reason agrees the yard is a small garden about 15 by 20 feet um at one point during the digging john recalls looking up to the second floor of the house and seeing dorothea standing by the window staring straight at him Ew, ew. Isn't that fucking freaky? Yeah. See, that's what I mentioned at the beginning. Like, that shit where someone's watching you from a window? Fuck that. Yeah, it's going full circle. It's going full circle. As he dug deeper, John began to find pieces of trash, like cigarette butts, cans, like empty soda cans, that kind of thing. Which is weird because you wouldn't find that stuff under the ground. Like, Mm -mm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's almost as if someone brought in dirt and, like, replaced it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's weird. As he continues to dig, he begins to find pieces of cloth. And he finds, like, a bunch of these. As he keeps digging, he begins to uncover pieces of leather. He says, like, tough leather that resembled beef jerky. Kind of like a leather from, like, a worn boot. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. When suddenly he strikes something hard in the ground, something that Ooh. looks like a piece of wood, he says. John grabs the piece of wood with both his hands and yanks it out of the <gasps> ground. He holds it in his hand, and it's a fucking femur bone. Oh, I was going to guess it was going to be a femur. I was literally going to guess. It's always literally. a femur. I swear it's, it's always a, a femur. It's always a fucking femur. It is. The beef jerky, by the way, was human skin. Isn't that fun? No. I was... Yep. I was 
I thought it, yep, and then yep, I was yep. like, no, 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 it's just some old leather. It's an old leather. Oh, and no, I no. thought I thought they no, were going to no. pull out an old leather boot, and the femur would be attached. Like, what the fuck Oh, no, no, no. Like, I thought it was going to be that Human whole skin. boot deal. That's disgusting. Human skin. Yep. Right. Dorothea is taken in for questioning and basically plays dumb. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Denies everything. Sure. The next day, they start a complete dig of the garden involving a coroner and an anthropologist. During the dig, Dorothea approaches John Cabrera and says she's feeling stressed and asks if she can go get a cup of coffee with her nephew across the street. No. Apparently, they had no cause to hold her at this point. Why the fuck? What? He's like, yep, we had no reason to hold her because now I'll clarify this. Bert had only been missing for three months. That's the case they're investigating is the disappearance of Bert. And the remains they found were skeletal and a body does not decompose that fast in the ground. So, like, they knew it wasn't Bert. The remains were much older. Okay, but still, they should be like, okay, now let's uh, yes. And I think nowadays to investigating the skeletal remains, right? Right. Well, well, then again, we just talked about Tamla Horsford last week when fucking Jean was allowed to go to fucking Dunkin' Donuts, and there was a recently murdered person in her backyard. Yeah, that's, that was you know, that was literally two years ago. So that's so great. like okay. we see people turn a blind eye all the time, right? Yeah. Um, and he may he may also have not suspected her. I mean, like she she's like an old lady with little white hair true, and like big true. glasses. Like true. maybe he's just like I don't know. And that was kind of her thing is like people were so shocked because she was so unassuming. Right. Um. So anyway, he lets her go because the remains found were much older than Bert. John was like, okay, that's not Bert. So he lets her leave. Not a, not long after that, another body is discovered in the backyard. When John lifts something heavy in his shoulder and it's a fucking leg. <gasps> I was foreshadowing with me saying that they'd find a uh, leg. Uh, oh my god! It's always a fucking femur. Hey, no, the it was like, included. Yeah, literally. He like he was like, wow, this this like section of dirt is heavy, and he like lifts it up, and it was a leg. Hmm. This is when they realize that no shit, Dorothea has fled, and so they issue a bolo. Iconic. A nationwide manhunt ensues. As officers continue to dig up the yard, they uncover a third body, a big person, according to John, nearly 200 pounds. And this is not skeletal. So they realize it's very quickly. It's Bert. Oh, no. Then they found another body and another and another and another. Oh, my gosh. Most of the bodies were found in the fetal position and wrapped in tablecloths and plastic bags. That's That's seven bodies in total, ghoul friends, that this little old lady had in her fucking backyard. Someone had to help her, right? I actually, no one ever talked about that, but maybe that's true. Gosh, I feel like they have. I don't know. Yeah, because that's a good point. It's like, how did she drag them down the fucking stairs and stuff like that? I don't know. So. Judy now Judy tells us that she was 50 at the time Bert disappeared and Dorothea said that she was in her late 60s come to find out that Dorothea was actually 50 posing as a much older woman (gasps) which according to investigators was likely to become a more disarming and unassuming presence who's scared of an old lady right right no that makes well that makes a good point not here i cry i would cry for i empathize for this lady unfortunately yeah Um, i'm like oh a little old lady but wow i mean yeah she did Uh her she did what she did she was trying to make someone feel like that like oh she could never do that i mean people lie about their age all the time but like yeah she like literally she would wear like makeup in a certain way and like always had like her hair in like a little perm and like you can look up a picture of her a psychopath literally so 
Uh, later in the search, John recalls walking in the room adjacent to the kitchen and realizing that the carpet feels thicker in that room. He looks down and realizes that there are actually two carpets, one on top of the other, in this particular room. He lifts one up and is hit in the face with the smell of decomposition. Oh, no. He, he says it's putrefied body fluid. So he mm. believes, investigators believe that that's where she, like, prepped the bodies, was, like, in the room off her kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know? Great. So, it's great. Love that we've identified um, that spot. Mm-hmm. When the investigation is mostly over, Dorothea Puente is still on the run. Days later, she's found 400 miles away in Los Angeles when she's recognized at a neighborhood bar and arrested. So as the case garnered national attention, the family of a man named Everson Gilmouth called police saying their father had been engaged to Dorothea and that they hadn't heard from him. The two had started a pen pal relationship while Dorothea was in prison and Everson moved into 1426 F Street after Dorothea got out of prison. Around the same time, Detectives from Sutter County call Sacramento County and say that back in 1986, they had uncovered a John Doe wrapped in plastic and dumped in a box near the river. The body of Everson Gilmouth was positively identified in 1988. So this is now the eighth victim that we know of. That is so sad. Well, actually, including Ruth Monroe, it's nine. Yeah. Police believe that drugs like flurazepam and diazepam were used to subdue Dorothea's victims when she killed them and continued to cash their social security checks long after they were gone. When charges for nine counts of murder in the first degree were filed on July 3rd, 1990, the district attorney, John O'Mara, successfully included the murder of Ruth Monroe in with the other charges because there was like some dispute over whether or not that would be included because they didn't have any like they didn't have any evidence that wasn't circumstantial. Yeah. But ultimately, they were able to include that in the nine charges. The victims include Dorothy Miller, 65, Bert Montoya, 52, Benjamin Fink, 55, Vera Faye Martin, 65, Betty Palmer, 80, Leona Carpenter, 81, James Gallup, 64, Everson Gilmouth, and Ruth Monroe. That's so sad. That's way too many people. Literally. And they're all over the age of 50, as far as I yeah. can tell. Yeah, that's just, sad. just sad. Dorothea Puente was found guilty on three murder charges, and the jury remained deadlocked on the other six. Apparently, yeah, there what? was, like, one little bitch-ass juror who was like, <gasps> um, I don't really know. And so they were deadlocked on the other no. six. Oh, that's fucked. And that included the charges for the murder of Everson Gilmouth, Burt Montoya, and Ruth Monroe. Oh, It's estimated that in her time as a prolific serial killer, Dorothea Puente accrued close to $100,000 in social security payments and used that money to uphold her status as a sweet, wealthy old lady, a philanthropist, and a pillar of the community. She had a reputation. (laughs) A liar! (laughs) She had a reputation for donating large bags of clothing, as I mentioned earlier, which police now believe is likely to have been the clothing of her victims. Wow. Disgusting. In March of 2011, Dorothea Puente died in prison at the age of 82. The house still stands at 1426 F Street and will likely be there forever because built in 1890, it is considered a historical landmark. To this day, Judy says she feels that it was Bert's destiny to expose Dorothea Puente for the monster she really was. The wow. end. Wow. <gasps> Add that house on the list of the road trip tours that we want to go take. I didn't realize until the end that this house is haunted as fuck. No like, way. I assumed. But, like, there's, like, recorded, like, there's, like, <gasps> records of it. And no. so I was like, fuck, we could have done a, like, that would have been a really good one. A little too far, too for a moment. Okay. 
Marissa, listen, I'm ready for your mystery. Okay. This week, uh, Marissa's mystery is, I I was going to do a haunting of some sorts because I really haven't done one of those in a while, unless you count Dear David, but like a classic haunted house or ghost story or haunted doll because there's a lot of those. But I also get really scared when I research those. So I want to be able to sleep tonight. So I decided (laughs) to um, do something a little more fun. And depending on how you look at it, it could also be kind of deep. But (laughs) this week, I'll be talking about all of the predictions that The Simpsons have made that have come true. What? We've talked about this. I mean, not like I know about it because I don't remember it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mentioned it uh, in one of our early episodes that I wanted to cover this. And I thought this week would be a good good detox to do that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And they're not, you know, they're not out here tweeting out what their predictions are going to be for the upcoming year, but it'll happen within each episode that these events seem to come to life years later. And I wanted to start it out with, um, if you don't know what The Simpsons are, it's a very long-running animated comedy show about a family living in a town named Springfield with a bunch of other funny yellow characters. It's like, I, I wrote down that it's like an old age, not kid-appropriate Minions so that's how I view <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, they are. They have yellow skin. I'm not really sure what that's about, but yeah, um, I I've never seen it, so that's why I'm calling it that. But I'm sure it's a great show. I need to see it now that I've done all this research on it. So the first episode actually aired on December 17th, 1989. So the show has been on for 33 years, and crazily Holy enough, fuck. yeah, <laughs> there's over a hundred recurring characters within the show too. Recurring, which means they show up yeah. more than. More than a few times, which is and insane. I think most of the actors have been on it since the beginning too. Oh, I bet, and I assume too they probably do multiple voices, right? Isn't that a yeah, thing? Spongebob. yeah? Like Nancy Nancy Cartwright is the voice of um, Bart Simpson, the little boy, and then she mm-hmm. also voices like forty other characters. It's like um, Seth insane. MacFarlane on Family Guy. Yes, he does it all, right? Or no? I think he does all of them. Uh, I may be wrong. I don't know. That's a lot Either of way, work. Cool. Yeah, more work, than one. But... One is impressive. <laughs> yeah, so right? I would say you know, yeah, okay, either or. <laughs> okay, personally, I've never seen any like episodes in their entirety, but I would, I catch little bits of it here and there, like in between on the background, flipping through, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I still obviously find it of interest because whether you knew it or not, some of their older episodes mirror events in history before they've actually happened. So, That's so weird. Today I'm covering this supposed comedy show depicting crazy events that could never happen in real life, but actually end up happening. And I'm going to follow a format kind of where I saw um, this video that they group these predictions into categories. So our first category is, and I, I am trying so hard not to completely feel like I'm on RuPaul's Drag Race when I say that because RuPaul goes, category is... And you know, so, I wonder if that I actually just was thinking of the game concentration. Remember that? Like concentration. Oh, yeah. And they say category is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's multiple ways we could be saying this, but I'm going to channel my inner RuPaul and say category is technology. So okay. <laughs> to start, 
Uh, FaceTime. So in season six, episode 19, in 1995, Lisa Simpson goes to a fortune teller at a fair and they see into the future where she's chatting with Marge, her mom, face to face through a screen on something they call a picture phone, aka FaceTime, which became a reality in 2010. So I don't know, what, 15 years later, 25 years later? I can't do math. Uh, 100 years later? (laughs) Either way, definitely not like a conception at that current time to be able to video chat with someone. And now we know and love video chatting. Wow. Just crazy. Yeah, we love it. Okay, next step. Except without warning, fuck that shit. Yeah, oh no. And and I'm like, oh no, what's wrong? Like immediately, I'm like, what's wrong? So, You're the only one who I'd probably answer like an unprovoked FaceTime call. <laughs> but like when my when my sister FaceTimes me, Maddie does all the time. And I'm like, don't do that. I want oh, I need a warning. See, I'm more like I, I'll answer because I'm afraid. I'm like, what's hey, what's up? What's going on? Because I immediately assume yeah. worse. So I'll answer. But it gives me a heart murmur at the same time. That's fair. So that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Next up, smartwatches. So in that same episode, we see Lisa's fiance making a phone call on his watch, which was 20 years before the first smartwatch with voice wow. call came out. Though, Do you remember uh, that that movie in the early 2000s with Ashley Tisdale where she was basically like the entire thing was an advertisement for whatever fucking picture phone she had where she or was a no. video phone? It was called, I think it was like picture this or something like that. But basically the concept is like she's super sheltered because her dad's super strict and she like just wants to have one fun night or whatever. And she has a video phone and the whole like movie is built around this phone. And I'm like, it's just an ad. That's basically what it is. I need to watch this because I love Oh my God, iconic. And I love early 2000s movies. So send me the link. Now- on to the GoPro in season five, episode 13 in 1994, Homer was doing an investigation on expired meat at the Quick Mart and was given a hat with a camera in it, which some correlate to the idea of GoPros because many people oh. have their heads and helmets. And that one uh-huh. I'm like, all right, whatever. It's like a hidden camera, you know, like could it, would yeah. it really be a GoPro like them alleging right. to that? But obviously it's, it's quite similar, which is interesting to see. Yeah. And the next one, this one's interesting. And so I'm going to go ahead and say we're entering a new category here. So category is government. (laughs) Okay. This is, um, this is about the time that the Simpsons predicted the faulty voting machines. So in season 20, episode four in 2008, you see Homer trying to vote for Barack Obama King on an electric voting machine, and it highlights McCain instead, to which he calls out that the machine is rigged. And in 2012, if you remember, this exact thing happened. And there was a YouTube video that was released of someone trying to vote for Barack and the machine checking off Mitt Romney instead, because apparently the machine was collaborated wrong. How crazy wow. is that? Four years later, this exact same same thing happened. And I'm like, yeah. all right, maybe I, I'm always playing devil's advocate with these kinds of things. I'm like, maybe, right. you know, technology is faulty. So like, maybe that that is that. But the fact that it was the same, I don't know, the same, same exact yeah, thing. Yeah, no. Like, That's what? really weird. That's really weird. So that was two, that was four years apart. Yeah. 2008. Wow. Oh, yeah. Weird. And so in season 11, episode 17, in 2000, they predicted that Donald Trump would become president, which we all Shut know. Shut the fuck up. Happened in 2016. You didn't hear about that? That's This is the first – that's the first way I heard about – Donald Trump was symptoms. president? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, come on, girl. You had to have heard about this. And she's like, 
No, I had I literally did not hear about that. Oh wow. Okay, this is the first time I heard about Simpson Simpsons predicting the future. And in that same episode, it shows Lisa in the future as president having to clean up the mess that Donald Trump made. The craziest thing about all of this is that the outfit that Lisa was wearing in office is identical to the one that Kamala Harris is wearing just days after becoming vice president. Are you kidding me? Another crazy thing is that there's this one scene where Donald Trump goes down an escalator waving, and he did that as president too. Granted, it's not too crazy to see something like that happen, like someone walking down an escalator or whatever, but the picture of them side by side from in the show to in real life is just so weird because it is 16 years apart. Um, And so I put on the drive, Grace, actually within my episode 19 folder, the pictures of Lisa and then um, Donald's characters compared to real life. Oh, crazy. And these are 16 years apart, 16 to 20 years apart. What? Isn't that freaky? So Lisa is wearing a purple suit with a pearl necklace, exactly like Kamala. Um, and she entered the White House after, you know, Donald Trump and having to clean up the mess he made, et cetera, et cetera. And then the escalator yeah. one, too, is just really weird. And the earring and the fucking... What? Isn't that insane? Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, the escalator. Ew! Ew! Ew, ew, ew. Okay. Up next, we have something with the uh, National Security Agency, the NSA, spying on all of us. Duh. Well, (laughs) apparently, it was predicted in the Simpsons movie in 2007, where Homer pollutes Uh Springfield's water supply, gets in trouble, so the family goes on the run, and then the EPA declares the family members are all fugitives. They finally track them down by listening in on their conversations. Six years later, in 2013, Edward Snowden leaked highly classified info that the NSA was collecting data and surveying through phone and internet records. Holy shit. Oh my god, I love the Simpsons movie. I could quote my family and I quote it all the time. Wait, it's fucking really? hilarious. All I know is Spider yes. Pig. <laughs> and can I be honest? Like confession, I have never actually watched the show, The Simpsons. I was going to ask you because, like, I've only seen the movie. Oh wow! I was going to ask you because I was. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. But pop off. Yeah. Well, my dad loved The Simpsons, and he was like, "Do you want to watch the movie?" And we just loved it so much, and now we we quote it all the time. Oh, I think it's just like the show is so daunting to me because there's so many fucking episodes. I'm like, right, right. You know, it's same with Family Guy. There's just so many. I mean, yeah, 33 years. You're never going to run out of TV, right? Apparently the last season is supposed to be 2023. And back when I was recommending Bob's Burgers to you, there were only like seven seasons. So I'm like, that's a lot easier to tackle, except now there's 12 so I'm like, oh, I keep up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do too. But it's like hard. It's hard to have someone like start the show from scratch, you know. No, totally, also, the totally. new episodes are hot take. New episodes are not as funny as the first ones. I, I love agree. Bob's Burgers so much. And the new ones are not funny. Totally agree. It makes me mad. Okay, whatever. Go ahead. Okay, next category I'm going to call discoveries and championships. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. So The Simpsons correctly predicted the 2016 Nobel Peace Prize winner back in 2010. In season 22, episode one, they said Bent Holstrom, I think is how you pronounce it, would sure. win the Nobel Peace Prize for economics. And That's they crazy. And they that correctly within the episode, which is just like, how do you wow. – I mean, maybe, maybe there's some information that would – point to those kinds of signs but apparently the creator of the simpsons um liked or no that was actually within the episode never mind and so he liked to gamble on who was going to win the nobel peace prize that's literally the premise of the episode it was not the creator that liked to do that (laughs) Um, it makes it but it makes me wonder if 
I don't know, like how much research goes into a show that's been on that long? Because I always wondered, like, when a show's gone on that long, how do they keep track of that shit and make sure they don't do the same episode twice? Like, that has to happen. Yeah, that's like Days point. of Our Lives and soap operas and shit. Like, not the same drama twice, happens. not the same joke yeah. twice. Yeah, exactly. No, that's he a good was her point. twin brother. No like, how does that not happen? Wait, there was another <laughs> yeah. twin back in season two. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have no clue. He already has a twin. Cut. I think the craziest thing is that <laughs> The Simpsons are, it's a comedy show. So they're just writing jokes essentially. But the fact wow. is that a lot of these jokes are coming to life. So if that doesn't Weird. read read and, and give shade to the world, I don't know what does. But yeah. in season 25, episode 16 in 2014, they predicted that FIFA was corrupt, which is not the biggest prediction. I mean, a lot of people would have would have told you that. But um, mm-hmm. according to sweet, sweet Google, I looked up what FIFA was just for any Google friends who don't know what it is. And definitely not mm-hmm. me. But it's mm-hmm. a nonprofit organization that describes itself as an international governing body of association to football, futsal, and beach soccer. I have no clue what futsal is, but I'm going to roll with it because Wikipedia told me. But basically, Homer was asked by FIFA to help prepare their image and ref the World Cup game in Brazil. And obviously, Homer Simpson didn't actually ref this game in real life, but they did foreshadow uh, some arrests of some of the top leaders within the organization that happened a year later. And they were taken down for money laundering, corruption, and bribery, which is crazy. Mattress firm. Yeah. And I'm going to have to do an episode on that. <laughs> yeah. I really am. Yeah, please do, because that um, shit's crazy. That shit's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Anyways, they also predicted within that same episode that Germany would beat Brazil in that World Cup that year. And it happened oh, in real life, which is crazy. That they is were just so off weird. on the score, but it happened. Oh, in idiots. season... <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I don't believe that they're actually predictors of the future. <laughs> They couldn't even get the score right. So in season 21, episode 12, Homer and Marge are recruited by the U.S. curling team for the 2010 Winter Olympics, and they end up sweeping Sweden to win the gold medal. And eight years later in the Winter Olympics, the U.S. team also beat Sweden for the gold medal in curling. Kind of crazy, right? I feel like there's only so many matchups you could do. Also, if anyone can tell me how the fuck curling works, then... That is a science I don't think we'll ever understand. Okay. Homer Simpson discovered the Higgs-Boson theory of mathematics in season 10, episode 2 in 1998, but that theory wasn't discovered in real life until 2012. So the Higgs-Boson is also known as the God particle and an explanation that everything in the universe has a mass. And this equation was actually written on a chalkboard that Homer was using in this episode because he was a, quote, inventor, apparently, and he was doing math. And the equation just happened to be on the board. But the craziest thing to me is, like, why didn't we discover that sooner? Like, why did it take 14 years if Homer Simpson figured it out in an episode? You know what I mean? But he wasn't, like, he wasn't looking for that theory, like the God particle theory. He was doing something else and just had a bunch of math problems scribbled on the board. And it turns out one of them is very, very similar, if not exact, to the Higgs-Boson. That is so weird. Is that's, that uh, that's all creepy? I have to say, apparently. <laughs> no, it is. So this weird. whole episode is so weird. Or this it's whole, so like, crazy. theory, I guess. That is creepy. So silly. So silly. Okay, the next category I'm going to call um, – I, I ran out of ideas here. So I called it world events. And <laughs> they're all very – these categories are, like, far-fetched. Like, they're not – they're all historical events that have happened. 
So I, I don't know why I broke them into categories, but I was trying to make sense and organization of this. But this is going to be titled World Events. So Okay. Here we go. Okay. In Season 9, Episode 3, Lisa tries to read Bart to sleep with a book titled Curious George and the Ebola Virus. This was in 1997, and people say it came true in 2014 when the Ebola outbreak happened. But people are yeah. like, I don't know, a little far-fetched. Who knows? Like, that was – could have been a thing back then. Could have not. So – just yeah, weird. thank God that's weird. over. <laughs> yeah, oh because God. now we I'll have something there. so much better. Oh, I'll get there, girlfriend. It's insane. Oh, okay. No. In season okay. twenty-three, episode ten in two thousand twelve, the Simpsons released an episode where Homer is a guest commentator on a news station. But the scroll text at the bottom of the screen, like you know, how there's text that scrolls across yeah. the bottom, mm-hmm. like any breaking news. Um, yeah. It's all about Greece's financial crisis, which didn't technically what? happen until three years later in two thousand fifteen. Yeah. Whoa. And, like, that, I'm like, that's creepy, too, but I'm also, like, I don't know. Did they have a psychic on board or some shit? Is that what's yeah. happening here? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm skeptical because I'm like, I don't know. Maybe signs pointed to that. But, like, who who could see that? And why, if you if you saw the signs, why wasn't there stuff done to stop it, you know? Or, yeah. like, in hopes to stop it? Because I feel like a right. lot of this all just happened like that, you know? Yeah. Um. So the next prediction is one that's like, okay, this this had to have happened eventually. Again, me creating, like, excuses, but whatever. <laughs> in Season 5, Episode 10, Mr. Burns opens a casino with a show that is basically an off-brand Siegfried and Roy. So do you know the, those people? They're Tiger Magic people? Not Tiger nope. King. Uh, but <laughs> basically Tiger King in Vegas is how I would describe them. They were uh, They okay. were two magicians that did a bunch of, like, cool magic tricks with tigers and lions on stage you never heard of them okay nope okay amazing it all sounds, right well i'm wait it sounds kind of familiar let me go let me google it okay. well i'll tell you what while you google it because you're probably going to see it basically this show um within mr burns casino ends in a really bad tiger attack a tiger attack <laughs> whoops which actually wait, happened no. in the real life siegfried and roy show 10 years <gasps> later and that ended their 13 year show run Holy but shit. again, Which that one, one was like, attacked? um, I don't remember, but they were left paralyzed and, and that you have to think that has to happen, right? You're having tigers perform because they're tigers performing magic tricks. Like they're going to fed up one day or like spooked one day and attack you in my right, opinion. Right, 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 right. I don't know. Right, 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 so that one I'm like, right. I don't know, but it is kind of weird that like it came to life. I don't know. Okay. In season 23, episode 22, in 2012, The Simpsons predicted Lady Gaga or being the halftime Super Bowl performer, which happened five years Whoa. later in 2017, which isn't a big deal because Lady Gaga is a queen. She's a star. She is Gaga. She is everything. So, like, why wouldn't she eventually be a halftime performer? But the craziest thing is that on The Simpsons in 2012, she's shown at the halftime show flying, being suspended in air and flying around. Like no she way. was in the 2017 Super Bowl halftime show. Weird. Isn't that crazy? And I'm like, <laughs> maybe she crazy. saw it and just wanted to give us all like something to talk about, you know? But it was creepy because yeah, not many true. people at the Super Bowl fly in the air. Like I feel like a lot of people are grounded in their performances. Yeah. You I know? mean, I'm always grounded. Yeah, same. <laughs> the The next one is subtle, but it's still there. So in season 10, episode 5, a director in the show pitches Homer's screenplay to a producer at Fox. But when they pan over the 20th Century Fox logo, 
on the lot, there's like a sign on the lot. The bottom of the sign says a division of Walt Disney Co. And that didn't happen. Disney didn't buy Fox until 20 years later in 2012. So I yeah. think that's weird. Like, why would they allude? Why would they write that in? Like, why does that need to be on there? You know? This is not so much as like a prediction, but it is, it makes me think of that. It's in the Simpsons movie. There's a scene where Marge and the kids are on a train and they're like obviously running from the government and mm-hmm. Bart is like going through people's luggage and he puts a bra on his head, like a black bra yeah. as like ears. And he goes, I'm the mascot of an evil corporation. He's talking about Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and that's and, <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. I love it. So that's, that's kind of weird. And that was before, obviously they bought Fox. Yeah. I'm going to have to do like the dark side of Disney. Cause like. Disney's mm. amazing. It's a magical place, et cetera, et cetera. But there's some creepy mm-hmm. things that have gone on in that little corporation. So. Yeah. In season nine, episode one, the Simpsons predicted 9-11. And there are a lot of conspiracy no. theories around this. And I didn't want to – I don't. I, I was like, do I include this? Do I not? I'm not going to cover any of the other conspiracy theories. They're oh, crazy. And the events that took place have changed us forever and nothing to take light of. But this one is weird. Right. Um, I said there was going to be a photo on the drive, but I accidentally forgot to put it in there. So if you could just Google Simpsons 9-11, um, you'll see okay. that Lisa is holding up a New York bus advertisement, basically showing that tickets are $9 to New York, but the Twin Towers are also in the background. And it's just a perfect alignment of what? the nine and the Twin Towers reading 9-11, yeah. New York 9-11. So I – Refuse to believe that that even if there is time travelers within the writers of The Simpsons, that this one is true because I I don't want to believe that they would do that. It just has to be a coincidence, you know? Right. It's just a coincidence, right? Right. Right. Okay. Right. But it is a very big one. It's weird. Creepy. That one is creepy. And this one's creepy too. So more recently, we all know the shit year that 2020 was because of the pandemic, but – there was something similar to have been seen in season four, episode 21 in 1993 called the Osaka th- flu. I almost said Osaka flu, but it's the Osaka <laughs> flu. The Osaka flu originated in Asia. And then the town basically begs for a cure, a vaccine, if you will. And then all of a sudden killer bees are released on accident. And if you remember, we had the whole murder hornet situation like a year into COVID. Yeah. Fuck all That's that. That's weird. That is I really know. weird. Killer I didn't bees. like that one. And there's there's so many more episodes that end up foreshadowing the future. And I, I'm sure some that aren't documented because who will yeah. remember all of that stuff, you know? Right. But these are the ones that were the most interesting to me. And I wanted to know yeah. one or two that were honorable mention, but I didn't want to cover in its entirety. Basically, um, there was one where they discovered a three-eyed fish that was later discovered in real life. And then there was one where they discovered horse meat in some of their beef products, which also happened in real life. <laughs> That was frequently. an episode of Bob's Burgers, too. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, but they probably are just playing on real-life events. These people, like, were foreshadowing Yeah, that's it. true. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, but, yeah, that was Marissa's mystery. And I would hope I that if nutty. time travelers were, you know, in, in the writing staff, that they would do something a little more exciting than to go back in time and create The Simpsons and subliminally send us messages of what will happen in the future. <laughs> but all in all, whether it's true or not, it is quite the coincidence. So I was and excited And something, to like, long enough – long enough ago like like the the gaps in time are like far enough what am yeah. i trying to fucking say where like no one's gonna put it together unless they're like what am i trying to say i don't know oh, i'm like, gonna be honest 
though, when things are like eight years apart, it's like no one eight years from then is going to be like, oh my God, do you remember that Simpsons episode about this? Like, right? no one, you know? That's so what that's I think, why but I guess because so people weird. are rewatching it. Like, you know, it's like one of those classic TV shows that people put on and it's 30, still going on to this day, 33 years. Right. Maybe people right. watch it from the beginning and remember these things. So that's why I'm like, I feel like there must be more out there too that people haven't discovered yet, but who knows? And who knows what's going to happen in the future that might relate back to an episode. Unfortunately, it's a comedy series and our life is just one big joke, apparently. Uh. <laughs> like what? But uh. girlfriends... Thanks for listening to episode 19. We are so <laughs> thankful for a thousand streams. Thank you. Share with your friends. Share with your family. Rate and so review exciting. us. Grace, where so can they exciting. find us? Well, that's a great question. And She's I'm like, like, I got to read my oh. notes. I got to read my notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can follow us on Instagram at where murder meets mystery. That's at where murder meets mystery. And you can also email us at where murder meets mystery at gmail.com. And we will for sure respond to you because I think you'll be our first email. Have we gotten an email? Have we um, so we've gotten like some emails from this uh, Singapore, this app from Singapore called like Singstar. Yeah. And it was like um, – Yeah, it was like – it basically it's like a TikTok but for singers. And they were like, we're going to introduce podcasting. Would you like to be the first podcast promoted on our website? And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean if you're going to promote us for free, go ahead and do it. But also I'm like this could be a huge scam and we could get hacked. <laughs> So probably I is. decided to not do that. They're like, I am a Nigerian prince. Right. <laughs> you need right. to and wire me $30,000. It's yeah, it's new age in, in Adelphi for sure. So I was like, all right, I'm going to wait. Then. I'll wire the money. I, I'm, what are you poor? What are you broke? So she yeah. goes, you look broke ass. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, cool friends, you don't look broke ass. So we love you. And we love we'll- you. See you next week for episode 20? Yeah. Wow. Episode 20. Get ready, girlfriends. We'll see you later. Talk to you later. Listen to you later. Bye. (laughs)